Okay, so Ryan Tov, we continue in the Nefesh Shimshin. We're in the next chapter of Ezra's Avoseinu. It's coming right the paragraph before, the long paragraph before the Amida in the text of the Nefesh Shimshin. We're on page Shin Ayin Beis. When we get to the words towards the end of Ezra's Avoseinu, Tehilos Lekel Yom, praises to the supernal God. That is an introduction to the Shmona Esra prayer, as the Mishnah Brewer quotes the Dark Moshe, who says that the Maril would have the custom to stand before the Amida when you started the words Tehilos Le'el Elyon. That's when you should stand up and also remove any phlegm, any junk in your mouth or nose that could disturb your davening. Make sure you're ready to go. So now I want to explain what is this introduction to this um, Amida prayer. So first we have to digress and understand what is the Amida prayer. We discussed a little bit and he's going to give us more. And we're going to understand that and what the role of Shema before that has and then we'll understand this idea. So the f- central point of the Amida is a person is standing before Hashem literally like the analogy of the Beis Hamikdash in the Kodesh Kadashim. That's the most powerful aspect of holiness. As we learn in Parshas Achremos, it says, Kol Adam lo No one can be in that spot. As the Medrash asks the question, wait a minute, how does the Kohen Godel even go? What's going on? Isn't the Kohen Godel a person who's not allowed to go? And the Medrash says at the time that the Ruach HaKodesh was upon the Kohen Gadol and his face was on fire like a torch, as it says, at that point the Kohen Gadol was no longer a human, but rather he was a Malach. A human can't go into the Kodesh but a Malach can. You got to go beyond yourself. So this is really what it means to standing in the Amida. And here's just a couple examples. When you're saying the Amida, it must be softly said, not in a loud voice. Why? Because when a person raises his voice, he's drawing attention to himself. Like, I am here. I am saying that you are the powerful one. Okay, but if in the Amida you don't exist, there's only Hashem. Okay, not only that everything that's going on isn't found, but we ourselves aren't even there, so to speak. So we can't raise our voice. Yes, we want to make expression of our feelings to Hashem, but not here. You want to daven Sukkot Zimra loudly, that's good. You're not in front of Hashem. But here we're mamish in front and we sense there is no, we're right there. And and you, you don't, you, you don't do anything. Okay, so if you're going to do it loud, it makes him that you're saying I'm a somebody over here. That's not so, yeah? So what happened at Chazara? Mm-hmm. Well, Chazara, that's for everybody else. That's for everybody else. How, how can we repeat it? Everybody else must be quiet. Everybody's quiet. And then, and then we're not doing anything. We're even more removed. So the Chazan just saying it 
is for our benefit. Okay, now what's the problem? The problem is we don't have good metaphors in front of our eyes for us to understand what's going really on over here. There's a concept of having fear and trepidation in front of the king. We don't got that anymore. We have no idea what it means, the fear of Malchus. When you're in front of the king, you don't move a limb. We don't have that, not in the United States, not in Canada. Everybody insults, criticizes, interrupts, makes fun of the leaders. In the good old days, or the bad old days, if the king didn't like the way you looked at him, he just killed you. You were just shaking in your boots. There is, in the Sefer Hadoros, they mention the story, one of the very interesting figures, a person called Bustanai. This was after the second temple was destroyed, and there were, um, there were descendants of King David that were in Bavel. And at a particular time, the Persians want to kill all the descendants of King David, so there'll be no ideas of the Jews ever believing in Mashiach. Anyways, it's a whole story, but there was one descendant as a young boy named Bustanai who was able to survive. And he became, in the exile, one of the leaders of the Jews in the exile. And they would even use a seal as a leader of the Jew, and the seal they would use was a fly, a mosquito. That was the, on the seal, embossed on it. What's the story over there? Well, they get a whole story how Bustanai was born and he now was brought as a young uh, steward to uh, be in front of the king. He's like what a, a, a servant. To be in front of Caesar? No, no, the Persian king, no Caesars. This is, this is Persian. So uh, it's impact like in, uh, you know, Iraq, Iran, that area. Okay, it's in the 600s. 600s. So anyway, he comes in front of the king and he is standing like a stick. King is doing everything. He's just standing at attention. Then this bug, this mosquito or whatever, a bigger fly, comes to his head and starts biting Pustanai is not flinching. Biting, biting, biting. Blood dripping down his forehead. And the king notices this. And doesn't move. And the king turns and says, what's with you? He says, what do you mean? I'm in front of the king. I know, but there's a fly there. Why don't you swat it away. He says, this is a tradition I have from my ancestors that once the crown of glory of the house of David was taken from our heads, we have to stand in the palaces of the other kings not to speak, not to make jokes, not to raise our hands, not to do anything, to sit still. And the king liked what he said. And therefore, the seal of the house of Bustanai was this fly. Okay. That's what it means to really fear. I think you can still see it in Buckingham Palace. I think.
guards. They stand, they don't move. No matter what. You gotta sneeze, you don't sneeze. Nothing is done. It's interesting that in the Bible, the word for like people who minister to the king are called a saris or srisei hamelech. So Ramban says, why are they call it a saris? So in English, they call it a eunuch. A eunuch is one who's been castrated. Why do the servants have to be castrated? So Ramban says, because when a person sits before the king to serve him, that service should engulf his entire being. And if he has a wife and kids, he could be thinking about the wife and kids and the house. So he's not 100% focused on the king. Therefore, they sterilize them. That they have no life other than the king. That is what it means to mamish be in the king's palace. Now I know there's a lot of discussion now with this generation. I don't know what they're calling it, Generation Z. I don't know what this generation. People are working now. It's a whole different mindset. And it's a whole discussion if it's good or if it's not good. Nowadays, the people are working. They say, you know, you have a business. You want to call somebody late at night. They don't pick up the phone. I said, why don't you pick up the phone? I only work from you from 9 to 5. That's it. I have a life to live. And that's becoming the new culture of the young people. Now, when we grew up and we were working, we know we have to put in more than nine to five. You're lucky you have a job. You want to keep your job. You want to impress the boss. That's how you move ahead in life. And it could have been at the expense of certain things in life that we would have preferred. You know, you have your kid's uh, birthday party. I'm sorry, I have to work late. Now, this new generation says, I'm gonna work. I'll get the work done the way I want to get it done, not the way you want to get it done. And since there's such a shortage of workers, a lot of the bosses have to acquiesce to this. This is what's happening. They, they say, I'll get the job done, but you're not my whole life. So that's even harder. Used to be in the old days, you didn't say a word in front of the boss. You didn't, maybe behind his back, but never in front of him. But now it's a whole different culture, a whole different culture. So we don't understand what it means to stand in front of a being that everything that you want depends on that. If you want to have a little idea, says Rapinchas, this was many, many years ago, we heard a story from a principal in a school in America. And one time, we don't have the details, one time the President of the United States was going to visit that school. So the, the lead crew comes in to check out the school, security, all these things. And uh, they want to make sure everything is exactly the way it should be for the president. So there was a big room, maybe it was a dining room or an assembly room. And they saw a lot of nice pictures. You know, in the school you have lots of pictures on them. Make it look very nice. And, you know, some get very nice curtains. 
different colors. They said, get rid of all the pictures, make all the colors one color, be a very dull, drab room. And the people in the school said, why? He says, if there's anything that has any type of um, distraction, distraction, right? People will look at that and not at the president. When the president comes, everybody should be focused on him. There shouldn't be any distractions. And that's just sitting in front of a president. You imagine you're sitting in front of a show. To really understand that, your mom is sitting, standing in front of Hashem. You don't, you don't move. That's why some people. I'm not saying this is the halach. Some people they don't even shuckle when they're doing their mita. I had one Rebbe, Zechron of Racha, he mamish didn't move. It was like the slightest shuckle, just barely, barely, barely. And you could tell that he realized he was in Hashem's presence. Okay, so that's fine. So we're in Hashem's presence. Now what does that have to do with what we're talking about? If you recall earlier, we mentioned that when you finish one stage of prayer before you move to the next, we always bridge it with a kaddish. Right? After the korbanot, before Baruch Shemar, a kaddish. After Pesukah Zimra, before the brachas of Kriyashma, a kaddish. After the Amida, and going down is a kaddish. Because you want to bridge one reality to the next. So now the question is, so, okay, the third reality is Shema and the Brachas. Now we move into the fourth reality, which is the Amida. Shouldn't there be a Kaddish? Now at night, there is a Kaddish. But in the day, not. Why is there no Kaddish? And certainly, we're really moving into the, we're now moving Mamish into the king's private place. Shouldn't we say Kaddish? And Dafka there, we don't have a Kaddish. Why is that so? And the answer is because when we are saying the Birchas Kriyashma, even though we're not standing in the king's private room, but we already are in the palace. And when you're in the palace, you already should be thinking about that you're with the king. Why am I in the palace if not to see the king? So even if I'm in the palace, I have to start thinking that, you know, there are no, uh, what do you call it, mechitzas. There's no boundaries. There's no blockages. Till you get in the palace, okay, there's security and this and that, all these other things. To get into the palace, there's got to be security. But once you're in the palace... Okay, you may be waiting in a room before you're going to get to the king. But that already has the nature of standing before the king. So what do you need a Kaddish for? The, the Kaddish is to get through the gates. So There's no gates. When you're in the palace and to get into the private audience of the king, there are no barriers. Anymore. We don't have big gates in the palace. In the palace? So a simple door that opens. So obviously you have to prepare yourself before we're going to actually speak to the king, but there are no barriers. The fact that you're there already, already demands a certain understanding and behavior. Because you're, right, you're just one step away of standing before the king. Hold on. 
And this is exactly what happened in the base of Mikdash. Even though the Kohen God was the only one who could go into the Kodshay Kedoshim, and that was once a year. But if you notice something interesting, okay, the Hecho, the sanctuary, you walked into the sanctuary, you had the different vessels. Then there was the curtain. And in the curtain was the Holy Savos. Now the Aaron had two poles on both sides, even though we're not carrying it. Poles were long. How far did the poles go? It went from the ark and would, let's say this. Upstairs, you know, upstairs. Here's the curtain. Here's the curtain. You're inside. The, the, paroch, the poles would touch so the curtain would bulge. Would bulge. So what does that mean? That means that even though the holiest of holies was separated from everything, but still in all, still in all, it bulged in. Okay? From the Kutcha Kedoshim. So even in the Heichal, even in the sanctuary, you begin to sense the Kachik Kedoshim is there because something is bulging out, even though you don't see anything. But it's impacting. It's encroaching. Same thing, you're not in front of the king, but you're in the palace. It's already encroaching into you. Right? So that's why there's no Kaddish after you finish the Shema and all the brachas. You're in the palace. You should sense that. The presence of the king is like so clear. Your mom is getting nervous. Yes, when the king, when you get in the king's room, you don't even move. Therefore, there's no cash. You had a question. So, uh, I'm going a little back. So why are we sitting at the time of Shema then? I think we should be standing. I have to concentrate on what we're saying. So what about Amida? We are also concentrating on what we're no, saying. The Amida is you're in front of the king. Listen, you could be in a waiting room. When you're in a waiting room, you could wait. If you go to see a, a big a big Rebbe, people go to see Rebbe Chaim Kanievsky. If you can get a chair, you get a chair. When you're going to come in already, well, that's a different story. Okay, now, now that we've defined what's going on over here, now we can begin to understand what this last prayer of Ezra's Avosenu is about. The Mishaburah says, this idea, this halacha of smichas gula tefillah, you have to connect the bracha of gula, that last bracha of Ezra Savosenu, you have to connect it right into the Amida. As soon as you finish Kual Yisrael, right into Hashem Society of no pausing. That's a rabbinic decree. And the Jerusalem Talmud says, what's this like? He says, the 18 blessings coming after the bracha of redemption can be compared to a person who's a, a friend of the king, and he goes and knocks on the door of the king. And the king goes out towards him. And the king opens the door. Now, if by the time the king opens the door, for whatever reason, the guy knocking on the door ran out of patience till the king would come. And when the king opens the door, the guy already has left. Even though he's going to come, try to come back, he doesn't, he, he's not going to come back when he knocks again. You knocked, the king came, you're not there. <laughs> Gonna knock again, he ain't coming. You weren't there when I came, forget it. Same thing, when you said, Gual Yisrael, 
you knocked on the door. The Amida, God's opening the door. You're not there? Forget it. So Rashi brings this Gemara Yisham and he adds, a person rather, what should do? He should get close to Hashem and appease Hashem with praises about us going out of Egypt and you want to get closer to him and then and you want the king to get close to you and when he's close to you, then you ask what you need. So it comes out, based on this, there's three levels when you enter the king. Number one is the person is beloved to the king and he knocks on the door. Number two, the king opens the door, goes out to him. Number three, what should be is they see each other and they talk with each other and that should be immediately when the king goes out to see him because it's not respectful for the king to wait. So we have to understand, so when we are saying these prayers, we're knocking at the door now. And as the Amida starts, you, you should sense Hashem's opened the door. Well, he opens the door, okay, come in and, and you start talking. And it's not that the king opens the door. Don't worry you. Those are the three steps. Yeah, question. So that's why it makes perfect sense that we go three steps behind and we're entering now. Could be. It could be. It's a, a hint to that. Yeah. It's we're now there, and we said the Shema. We're already in the palace. When I say the Shema, we're in the palace. We're in the radio. So now if you want to get in, they guess, okay, now it's your turn. So it's your turn. What do you do? You go to the door. You knock on the door. When we start the Ezra Savoseno, we're knocking at the door. Because we're about, we're now we got up, and we're about to get in. We're just waiting for him to open the door. Before we get in, we have to sense our worthlessness compared to Hashem. And we feel a sense of weakness. Who am I to come and ask anything from Hashem? Who am I? What's my life? So we say to Hashem, and more to ourselves, two points. Two ideas are coming. Number one, you're the king of the whole world, and you can do whatever you want. You can change all of reality. So there's nothing you can't do. And then we start, You have helped our, our forefathers always. You always loved us. You always saved us. And you constantly save us. And we say, The truth is you're the first and you're the last. And without you, we have no king and savior at all. And we see this. And what's the proof? We talk about going out of Egypt. That redemption that you saved us, that's a chok velo yavor, that's a rule that never changes. And that gives us the courage that right now to have the chutzman to come into the king's palace and ask for things. You redeem us. 
and we have no God other than you. And we, we you know, lengthen all these praises and these miracles. But the main idea is to praise Hashem that even his holiest name of yud Hey vav Hey, and that's the one that is everything, beyond all nature. Even that name, we have some connection to that. We say, Mimi Shrayim Ge'altonu from Ichibirdinus, yud Hey vav Hey Elokeinu, Hashem Elokeinu. And from the house of slavery, you redeemed us. Even though we weren't worthy then, we're on the 49th level of impurity. You still heard our cries. And you saved us, even though the angel said no. Okay. So that we have an old, a long relationship with you. And based on that, that's what we're turning to you. And we're knocking on the door with that feeling. And since we're coming to meet the king and to ask what we need, we have to arouse that inner love. And therefore, that knock that we make at the king's house, that is the mentioning of getting us out of Egypt. It comes to express these two ideas, the greatness of Hashem and the greatness that he has and he loves us. That's the knock at the door. Because otherwise, you're afraid to go. You know, so why, would a, why would a guy knock on, on the king's door and leave? Unless he's scared. Can you imagine you knock on the king's door? Oh no, I'm out. You're out. If I'm going to ask the king what I want, he's going to feel such a chutzpah, he'll chop my head off. I'm afraid. I mean, why else would you knock and leave? You want it, you know he's giving you, I'm terrified. So we could be terrified. So we have to say, no, no, we're not terrified. We're knocking on the door and we're staying at the door. Because we know how much Hashem loves us. We know his track record. And we know he will help us. You know, sometimes, you know, before we dive in, we sometimes get certain feelings of despair. And you say, look how small I am. I'm nothing. Who am I that Hashem should look at me and reflect on me? Hashem is so lofty and so high. And what about me? I'm just a, a schmo. But you got to know that the fundamental point of prayer is amuna, amuna, that Hashem turns to anyone who prays to Him. And to believe that Hashem is so great that there's nothing too small for Him. And that's what it says in Yeshai. Hashem says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Yes, you look at regular flesh and blood kings, they're not interested in you. You're too small for them to deal with. But you should never think that. You should never think, well, the Chazanish, the Chavetz Chaim, Reb Chaim Brisker, they all, you know, were davening to Hashem, and they didn't get an answered. We don't have Mashiach. And we're just a bunch of worms. How are we going to get answered? And if you have that thought, you're making two big mistakes. Number one, number one is there's no doubt that the prayers of the big people, and even us, they do help. We just don't know in what way it helps. They always work. Number two, we have no idea how much Hashem loves us. We don't have the beginning kernel of understanding how much Hashem loves us and wants our prayers. How much he wants to hear that. We think Hashem, Hashem is so interested. So we say, what do you mean? I go to, I go to a, a, a king, he's not interested. 
He's doing me the biggest favor in the world. Hashem ain't doing you any big favors. He wants it. Gotta remember, he wants you to talk to him. And it will work for something. For something it will work. That's how he, the, he created the world. As the Nevim says, from the mouths of babes, Hashem has constructed foundations. Even from little people, he does these things. And, you, and he cements the world from that. That shows the greatness of Hashem. Okay, we'll stop it at that. We still have to develop this a little bit more, but you're beginning to see what the purpose of this prayer is. It's the knock on the door and feel courageous to go in. Let's go in. Yes, so let's go in. Why will uh, do the setting tomorrow?